Hi, and welcome to A Sober Girls Podcast. I'm your host, Sherry, and I have been through my own ups and downs with sobriety. And if you're listening to this, then you have taken the first step to making a change in your life and finding a community to help you through it. Now, let's start this journey together. afternoon fam. I am glad to be back with you this Wednesday and I appreciate so many of you reaching out to me, giving your support, giving your love, and not only that but downloading and listening. That absolutely made my entire week. The most important part of anybody's recovery is going to be the 12 steps. That's what AANA, any 12-step program that you are going to be involved with, focuses and centers around. Without the 12 steps, we truly cannot stay sober or clean. The 12 steps are what Bill W. and Dr. Bob refer to as a spiritual program. Now, that being said, you do not have to be a Christian to be sober. You can be Muslim, you can be Jewish, you can be any faith, agnostic, atheist. You just have to understand that the program that the process of getting sober is a spiritual one. It's not a religious one, it's spiritual within yourself. And that is what I have found to be the most comfort for me in my sobriety. I um, grew up a Christian and it was never far from my mind that Christianity was something that I didn't believe in. But that being said, I wasn't spiritual. I didn't have that connection to God. I didn't have that relationship with my higher power that I choose to call God. So through the program, I was able to reform that relationship. I was able to begin a relationship that would allow me to have a spiritual connection and a one-on-one connection with my higher power. But how I got there wasn't easy. Um, My story is a lot like other alcoholics. I didn't know that until I got into the rooms, but I thought that I would share my story with you and share how step one went for me and how taking that first step can be a huge change, your life change, the everything that you didn't think you needed and more. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. On page 328 in the big book, it states, When I look back now, it's hard to imagine I didn't see a problem with my drinking. And that is so true for me. The disease of addiction is progressive. That's probably why I didn't see it when it was going on. None of us really do, to be completely honest. Um, And it would take me years to hit my bottom. Like I said in my last podcast, I was probably 10 when I had my first taste of alcohol. It took only once for me to really get excited about the next time I could try it. My dad and stepmom always had alcohol in the house. It was usually red wine, wine coolers, and Coors beer. Gross. There was rarely a time drinking wasn't occurring at the house. Now, whether or not you agree with me that having a sip of wine at 10 is not the matter of the subject. It was the chemical response to the alcohol. The fuzzies, the giggles, the silly it gave me. I 
found myself always wanting more. And later it would give me a sense of freedom, bravery, and self-medication to overcome emotions of failure, anger, and self-loathing. I never thought that I had a problem with my alcohol. Um, even when I went to AA for my first meeting, I thought, I'll learn how to drink and that'll save my marriage. And as I have sobered up and my mind has become more clear, I was embarrassed by my actions. Shocked, I actually wasn't dead and sad that I had hurt those I love around me. My mom had no idea. Somehow I always behaved around her. Um, I think it was just a standard of respect for my mom. Um, I don't know how or why, but she was always the one person that I would never drink around. Um, but it started when I moved out of my mom's house, however. Um, she had rules and a good life laid out for me to include a full ride to college, room, and board, and all I had to have was basically a part-time job to take care of myself, which I did have at that time. Only to work part-time, have a roof over my head, and go to college for free, I also had a car, so I was sitting pretty good. Now, a lot of my years are blurry, but I remember a little bit of my first drunk. My college roommate was dating a guy, and I don't know how, but we managed to have alcohol in the house um, because I don't think we were both 21 at the time. I, Like I said, it's really fuzzy, but I'm 95% sure that I, I definitely was not 21 at that time. Her mom was gone for the weekend, and we had people over, and we drank. Now, we didn't have anything good. Um, I don't know if anybody recalls this, if you know anything about it, but Boone's Farm. Yep, that was my first drunk. My boyfriend at the time was worried because my roommate had broken up with his best friend um, not long before I had moved in with her. Um, that was valid, uh, but I was also 18, engaged, and not ready to be married. Needless to say, that relationship did not last. But it wasn't just the alcohol and parties that made me want to not be in that relationship. It was, I wanted to be 18, 19, 20, and he wanted me to settle down. And his mom and dad got married very young, and I could understand where he was coming from. I just didn't want that for myself. Um, but that didn't stop the train from moving um, with my alcoholism. Once I had that sense of freedom, it only got worse. I worked at a bar, and my new, much older boyfriend, would come in with his softball team. This is where the story gets good. And when I say good, I don't mean, oh, that's entertaining. What I mean is this is where everything truly takes off for me. I found myself starting to lie more frequently and my alcoholism goes into full swing. My boyfriend, we'll call him Alan. Um, I don't want to disclose anybody's names, so I'm going to give everybody nicknames. Um, was 10 years older than me, but he was super cute, had his own house, and he liked sports, so for me, that's three wins in a row. At 19, this was fantastic. Um, the only downside was his friends made fun of him, and me, actually, for dating. Um, the comments were at times unbearable, so I would drink to loosen up. I would drink to relax, and they all drank. They all drank heavily. Um, so the problem for me was I didn't want to stop. That group always found a way to stop. The more I drank, the more they liked me, though. 
I think they liked me. I'm not really going to say they liked me. Um, I think I was more tolerable. I don't think I was an annoying drunk at that time. I can't say for sure. Um, Alan didn't seem to notice or mind at that point. Um, we had gone to a wedding together and this would be the first time his friends would meet me. And even at his friend's wedding, we went to, I got so insanely smashed. I don't even know what I was drinking at that time. I think back on it now and it was a beautiful wedding in downtown Minneapolis, a $100,000 wedding that my little 19 year old ass got just wasted at. Super classy. It was pathetic. It seemed like we were always drinking, working, or arguing. Um, arguing was the big one. He had a friend who I was convinced he was in love with, and whether or not he was, my drinking and behavior only got worse. I don't blame him for leaving me. Now, I was convinced that he was the one and that I was going to marry him. And when we broke up, it was not a quick breakup. It was a long, drawn-out, very hard breakup. At least it was for me. I'm sure it was for him too because my behavior was just disgusting to be completely honest. After we broke up, the spiral did not slow down. Um, my work life had already deteriorated to the point that no one wanted me at work. I had drank the year before at a Christmas gathering, making an ass of myself and giving a speech about me and my ex-boyfriend at the time and his family drama. It was so bad, you guys. It was just ridiculous. And after that, I also vomited all over our bathroom on my 21st birthday. And then I had a St. Patrick's Day party um, at the bar, which ended up leading to me being raped by someone who I had known since high school, regular the bar, and by the time I got to work, everyone had already known what happened. But it wasn't, hey, good for you. It was, oh, hey, I heard you got it in real good last night. And for me, that was a huge turning point because by the time I had gotten to work, people had already assumed that I consensually had sex with this person, which I had not. Um, after the rape, I was really lost. Alan didn't want me, my ex was still trying to pursue me, and I just felt pressured, useless, disgusting. My promiscuity would start heavily at this point, but it really wasn't bad until way later. The inhibition really started to go from me. I really started to not care about life anymore. I had failed out of my first year of college at this point. And even if I transferred to another school, my mom wasn't going to pay for my college, which I didn't blame her. In this midst of attempting to quote-unquote find myself, I was really struggling with my relationship with my parents. And not only my parents, but I had totally given up on college at this point now and was working a sales job for a company that gave me a car, a computer, a cell phone, basically everything I needed to be independent and almost $80,000 a year. Which you can guess where most of that went. Yep, alcohol. So, fast forwarding a little bit, I had had this job for probably, I don't know, six months-ish, and I met this guy. And he worked with my dad. I had a job. I was single. He was cute and he liked me. All right, I got this. James also liked to hang out with drinkers, but... He was an overly zealous part-time firefighter who wouldn't even drink 
in case a call came in to the one horse town that we lived in. Huge ambition in life was to be a firefighter. And that was fine. That was no big deal. But we could never make plans in case. We couldn't go far out of town in case. So whenever we were together, his friends and I would party. I even went on a party bus with them. We went to a bar hopping night on this party bus and it was a pimps and hoes party. If I ever find a picture, I will definitely share it with you. I was dressed as the woman from Pretty Woman um, when she used to be a prostitute. So I thought I was pretty clever. On that afternoon, evening, on our way to one of the bars, I downed a bottle of 99 bananas on a bet and the party bus was moving and I didn't think anything of it and all of a sudden I got really dizzy and really hot and I picked up a beer bottle you guys and I tried spitting the vomit back into the beer bottle and it went everywhere so needless to say I spent the rest of the night probably about 9 p.m. until forever smelling like vomit everywhere we went and we lived in a really nice area um, we lived in um, a county called Carver County and everything around there is very very nice and so when you pull up to certain bars and you look like a hooker and you smell like puke you know it's gonna be a fantastic time I really enjoyed his friends we always had a really good time and I'm still really good friends with one of the female firefighters that I met through him um, but James was very mentally abusive he insinuated that I was stupid ignorant and if I didn't have sex with him I was worthless Leaving him was hard because he was creepy. He would start to threaten me, he would start to follow me, and he would always use this, like, tone of voice that would sound really, like, sweet, but it was also very rude, and it was very, he was very condescending, and he would go out of his way to humiliate me any opportunity that he got. Um, so I was scared to leave him. Luckily, he finally got the hint, but when you're emotionally unstable and codependent, all you need is, guess what? Yep, another boyfriend. I had met this boyfriend through work, and again, of course, he was older, so he was seasoned and quote-unquote mature. However, that was the farthest thing from the truth, and sadly, the truth is what almost killed me. By now, I had been through four relationships in the last six years, had a drinking problem with no quit, and this next part is where my bottom comes in. I married a soldier during Operation Iraqi Freedom, but I was also 22, yep, 22. While he was gone for his first deployment, I found a new job after being fired from my last one. The job where he and I had met, I ended up losing because I wasn't going to my sales calls. I wasn't bringing in any money. So the $80,000 a year they were giving me wasn't truly benefiting anybody except for my alcoholism. So I lost that job and I started working at another restaurant. And all my friends at the restaurant were now my age, 22, 23, 24, but he didn't like my friends and I wasn't encouraged or allowed to go out with them. So when he was gone on his deployment or trainings or schools or field nights, I'd go out. He was always controlling, but with a deployment coming up, it was getting worse. The emotional abuse was getting worse. I couldn't wait for him to go, so that meant bars and parties for me. I drank almost every night while he was gone, but the last thing he said to me was, I know you're going to cheat on me when I'm gone. Don't be a slut. I never had a chance to, even if I wanted to, because he called every single night 
from Iraq. Which, if you've ever been with a soldier that's been deployed overseas, that doesn't happen, can't happen, and shouldn't happen. Unless you're absolutely not doing your job. When he came home on R&R, though, I obviously felt like having him home was the best thing ever, and we ended up getting pregnant, and my whole world changed. And so did the marriage. I thought it would get better, but it only got worse, and so did my drinking. The name-calling, the accusations, and emotional abuse always followed along. So did the drunk drivings, the bar nights, and during his weekends, binge drinking, and then the next deployment, I had friends who were roommates to help with quote-unquote the kid and rent. But what I needed was help with my drinking. I was 28 years old, and I was acting more like a child than I ever had in my life. The second deployment was really hard on me, actually. Prior to the deployment, there had been lots of fighting, lots of emotional abuse, lots of narcissism. No matter what I did, even if it was good or bad, he found a way to make everything my fault. And I am not saying, you guys, that that is an excuse for drinking, that that is an excuse for using, but it certainly doesn't help the situation. And when he finally left, it went all downhill from there. I was charged with a crime. I drove drunk, slept with copious amounts of men, failed my final semester of college, and I had to go back in 2011 and finish up because I wasn't sober enough to do it, and fully ignored my son's medical ailments. My bottom should have been when I got so drunk I left my son with complete strangers to go to the bar. Or when he was basically a newborn getting so drunk at a friend's, I called my other friend at the time to come and get me because I had my son and couldn't care for him. Or the rotating door of men, people, and drugs in and out of my door. Instead, I was trying to save face and blame all my actions on alcohol and making up yet another lie. Lie that I thought would buy me some time and saying, well, I'm actually an alcoholic. And I thought that would be a reason enough for him to forgive me, for my family to forgive me, for everyone to go, oh gosh, you're an alcoholic, we'll forgive everything. However, that wasn't the case. I told him that I would go to treatment. He said if I went to treatment, that maybe he would cheat on me or disappear like our son, like I did with him. So instead, I opted to do 90 meetings in 90 days, or the fear caught to me that I would lose my son. And I told him I'll go to AA, and if anything, they can teach me at least how to drink and be a better wife. I went to a few meetings, just kind of showing up. By about week four or five, I had actually heard someone share their story, and I remember sitting in that room, and I absolutely lost it. I had heard all about me. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Maybe I really was an alcoholic? Was I covering pain? Was I rebelling? Did I have a disease, or was I just being a problem child? Either way, if I admitted that I was an alcoholic, that would mean I would have a disease that I would learn meant never drinking again. When I ended up going into my first AA meeting, it was a Saturday morning at 10 a.m., and I remember walking into that room and being scared. Scared to death. I was detoxing at this point. My last drink had probably been two or three days ago. Um, my sobriety date is April 21st. I, I'm pretty sure that's when I took my last drink. My first meeting was April 23rd, 2010. So I remember walking in there and feeling completely out of place. 
everybody there was either dressed in like pajamas or goth gear or just really weird <laughs> weird attire and I had found out that it was actually um, a bunch of people who worked at a bar or were DJs the night before and had just stayed up and done the 10 a.m. meeting which I thought was kind of neat um, they were really nice they were really kind they were loving they were encouraging and at the end of the meeting they made sure that I would come back it took me a while into recovery to realize that I had had a problem I remember thinking that I just need to learn how to drink but it was obvious that that wasn't gonna happen if you have the big book or if you don't yet I will go ahead and post Bill's story and reading that is what really made me realize that I truly had an alcoholism problem um, once they handed me the book and I read that story, I was like, wow, that is absolutely insane. I can't believe how close to alcoholism I have been and didn't realize it. And here is an excerpt from step one um, in the big book. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we are real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the greatest obsession of every abnormal drinking. And that's what it was for me. I was going to learn how to drink. I was going to learn how to do these things better. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. We learned that we had fully conceded to our innermost selves that we were alcoholic. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people, or presently maybe, has to be smashed. Step one is all about honesty, you guys. And honestly, I wasn't ready to quit drinking. But not only had I put my child in a very dangerous scenario, but I had lost jobs, cheated on a spouse, and racked up some charges as well, spent thousands of dollars on alcohol and other ridiculous stuff. So clearly I had a problem. As I detoxed and sobered up all these memories, they came back, they came flooding back, and I was scared to death at the outcome of the path of wreckage I had left. No matter how disastrous the wreckage, if I was going to make any changes, I also had to accept that alcohol wasn't going to fix them, that I was truly powerless over it, and that my life was unmanageable. Acceptance also meant that people, places, and things had to change if I were to remain sober. I didn't have to cut out many because a good majority of them left, but two stayed. Kayla and Nick. Nick had seen it all. He and I had been friends since 2004, since the first deployment, actually, and he had seen it all. He was my safe haven. Kayla was new, and she was a nice girl, and seemed to truly like me and support me, and she stayed. Everyone else left. At some point, I did also let my spouse isolate me from friends, which only got worse as I got more clean. The more clean I got, the more aware of the isolation, abuse, and mistrust. It would take years, but I did end up having the courage to leave the marriage. Before sobriety, my self-worth was zero. My confidence was nil, and I allowed myself to be abused and controlled throughout my life, and alcohol was my escape. My escape from my pain of a childhood I didn't realize had impacted me so much. Pain from narcissistic relationships and abuse. 
I saw so little in myself. I relied on people to take care of me. I was so mismanaged, I chose to lie and cheat and use people for my gain. My relationships were either out of convenience or control, neither being a good recipe for an adult, mother, or wife. I didn't even graduate college on time because I didn't do the work and tried to manipulate my professors. To accept my unmanageability was a huge step. I could put the plug in the jug, but it would take some time to clean up the wreckage. I realized that I had truly hit my bottom. I just didn't realize it. Why these walls didn't want me. How can I be sure that the people inside them would understand? I shared for the very first time meeting and I was scared to death. But they handed me a chip, gave me a big book, and told me to come back. The chip represents your length and sobriety. And when you first come into the program, you get a white chip for one day a silver chip for 30 days, and it goes on from there. I was shocked that they wanted me around. Why would they? Because they had been there, they'd seen it, done it or lived it, and here they are now, laughing, enjoying life, and doing things I wanted to do. When they told me to come back, I did. Instead of rehab, I did my 90 meetings in 90 days, and I am very glad that I did, because my higher power showed me that not only was I not alone in my past, but I was also not alone in my future. For once I saw a future and I was finally able to speak at least one truth. My name is Sherry and I am an alcoholic. If you are here and actively using and want to stop, if you know there is no middle of the road solution, from here it's death, incarceration, or incapacitation, then you have indeed come to the right place. My story is not meant to scare you, it's meant to show you that we do recover if we have the capacity to be honest. And like last week, I discussed with you the serenity prayer, another promises that get me through my sobriety on a daily basis, as well as a serenity prayer are the ninth step promises. Now I know that this is far in advance from where we were at, but the ninth step promises are set at the beginning of all of my meetings here and I want to read it to you so you know what is in store for you should you choose to stay. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in our selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do our, for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will materialize if we work for them. Now, there are a lot of things that I left out about my story. I wanted to share only the main points that would show you my quick acceleration through alcoholism and my deceleration of my personal life. Step one is a step I do take daily because if I don't, I'm sure to drink. I need to remind myself that I am powerless, that without my higher power, I am folly to my old ways. Acceptance of my own problems was enough, but the next step would be harder. 
to accept that only a higher power could restore our sanity, understanding that I would need to grow along spiritual lines, facing myself was hard enough. How was I going to face a God that I know I had let down? Tune in next week as we go over the discovery of step two in sobriety and how I accepted that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I really look forward to continuing this journey with you, and I hope that you are getting something out of these podcasts, and I hope that there is something in them for everybody, no matter what part of your journey you're on. Until next week, be well, fam.